0: I would love for you to find your copy of God's word and join. Let's join our hearts together. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. It starts like this Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent words to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Uh, most of you probably know this biblical story. Most of you do, but probably not all of you. We, we are, Praise God, he, he's actually drawing the net in such a way that we've got people coming to church who really don't have a whole lot of Bible background. So maybe Lazarus is a new story to you either way. uh, We're going to get into it. We're not going to get all the way through it because it's a long story. It's a long chapter. We're going to do the first 16 verses and to be quite honest, um, there's more than enough in the first 16 verses and what God wants to tell us, it's hard It's hard. It's been hard today to to preach these things. Hard for me. And you'll you'll see why in a moment, but I I think that we really want to have an extra abundance of prayer for one another. Because, well, you'll see. Let's pray. Uh, But first, let's read. Let's lay the foundation of reading, and then we'll pray, okay? John 11, 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, he was from Bethany. We already read this, but we're going to read it again. We're laying the foundation. was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, that's twice, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, is sick. That's three times in three verses. He's sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Lord, this is a powerful, beautiful account of a true event that is... Beyond our comprehension in so many ways. And I pray, God, that after hearing what you want to say to us today, as as truth has been drawn from these 16 verses, that God will be changed. That we'll see the value of truth. And, Lord, that truth will come into our hearts and to our minds and set us free in a fresh new experience with you. We love you. And God, we, we, we know that uh, when we do this, we've got listeners on the broadcast. We've got uh, guests with us even now. Not everyone is a part of your flock yet. We do not assume. But Lord, we pray that your word will work in hearts today to bring people to love you and know you. God, I pray that the offense of the truth will not drive people away, but will draw people to you. We're going to take on strongholds today, and we ask for your help in our hearts, in our response, in the way that we talk about your truth. Let us always speak it in love. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John 11 is a familiar passage. I, I, man, I've done so many funerals. I hope I never do it another funeral. I hope he comes back today. Some of you young people are like, no, man, come on. There's stuff we want to do still. But I don't want to do another funeral. I don't want to do one more funeral. I've got one scheduled for this next Thursday. I don't want to do it. I'm hoping Jesus comes back. But I'll do it if I have to. But in every funeral, John 11 comes up, either in part or in whole, because he's the resurrection and the life. The, the, the power of this passage is just so important at a time like that. And as I entered into John 11 again, as I've been there many times, God showed me something different, and I think it was important. I think it's very important. And what he did was kind of show me how prayer and these 16 verses go together. And you may not see it right away, but it was actually verse 3 that, that sparked that that direction that that I I was feeling as I prayed. Verse 3 says, uh, you know, uh, the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. That made me think of praying for some reason, reaching out to Jesus. Jesus. Reaching out to Jesus when you're desperate. Reaching out to Jesus for help. And how do they do it? Well, that's our first point, isn't it? Through whom do we pray? Prayer is a deeply personal experience. And it's meant to be. Lazarus is very, very sick. We don't know what uh, his sickness is. We have no idea. But it's it's terrible. Uh, I always talk with... uh, my, uh, my girls at home around breakfast table when we uh, coming into a, a week and a passage and stuff just to kind of see what their thoughts are as we read it. And, and we were talking about what this is. What is he sick from? And I don't remember which one of them said it, but one of them said probably Corona 1. Uh, maybe. Uh, but it was bad, whatever it was, because he's deathly sick. And Mary and Martha have no other recourse. They are distressed. They are despairing. They Fear has gripped them, and they're anxious. And Jesus has left. He's not there anymore. For months, he had been in Jerusalem. From the from the festival, as you, as you recall, as you know, these sermons, I know you were all paying really, really close attention. But from, from chapter 7 to chapter 10, he's been in Jerusalem the whole time, teaching in the temple, uh, ministering there in the city, uh, from, the, from the festival of tabernacles to the festival of dedication. He's been there that whole time for months and months and months. He's been there, and now, uh, as this happens, he's gone and I want you to think about that in the, in the light of the fact that geographically, not only was he separated from them, but geographically, he separated from us. He's gone. He, he, he's left the earth. He went up in the clouds. And the angels said that he's going to come back the same way that he left. But geographically, there's separation. So we have the, a similarity with these uh, sisters in that they need Jesus' help but he's not there. Why did he leave? Verse 39 says that they tried to grasp him again. They tried to seize him in chapter 10 of the last week's sermon. They tried to seize him. In these months that he was in Jerusalem, they tried to seize him several times. They tried to arrest him at least twice that we read about and tried to stone him at least twice while we read about. So that's four major times where they tried to get their grubby mitts on him. And somehow he escaped, but it was time for him to go because it's middle of winter and he's not going to be crucified till Passover in the spring. And so he had to go. It wasn't yet his time. In verse 40 and 42, it says, Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in him. He is gone. He's 20 miles, 20 miles away on the other side of the Jordan River you see there on the map, a long way from Bethany. And they sent word to Jesus. They sent a man to request something of Jesus. They, they didn't voice it. I know that what they wanted to say was, Oh, Jesus, please help. Don't you know that's what they wanted to say? But they just said, The one you love, sick. There's nothing wrong with them sending a messenger with that request. But there is something wrong if that's the way we pray. There's nothing wrong with them sending a messenger to make their request. But there's something wrong if that's the way we pray. Please listen carefully. When it comes to our prayers, you know what we don't need? is a human intercessor. When it comes to our prayers, we don't need a human intermediary carrying our requests to Jesus. We don't need a person to bridge us to God. We don't need a priest who is professional and knows how to do it, knows how to access God in some sort of Special way. Prayers can't be subcontracted out to somebody else who's expert in the field, and they do it for you. That's not how it works. And you would say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I, I hope to make it plain to you why it's such a big deal. When we depend on others to do our praying for us, we are separated. From God in a way that God never intended and does not want. To ask someone else to intercede on our behalf. Well, you think about the many who are who have been for centuries and even today praying that saints will get God's ear. It's like knowing the. It's like knowing the uh, the 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 bouncer at a nightclub and saying well, you know you get a message to the big man for me. Now, I've never been to a nightclub and I don't know any bouncers but it's this it's this you know this guy has an in and he can get a hearing with the big man and so if I know him then I can get a word to him but that's dangerous to I know a guy who can get me a hearing. There are more than 10,000 patron saints that people pray to. And they unapologetically make intercession to these patron saints, over 10,000 of them. The first one on the list is St. Adrian of Nicomedia. And she is the patron saint of arms dealers and butchers. She's the first on the list. So this if you are an arms dealer... And you've got a box of hand grenades that you want to sell. You pray to St. Adrian of Nicomedia. And she gets a word with God. And hopefully you get a better return on your hand grenades. Or something along those lines. The last one on the list is St. Zita. The patron saint of domestic servants and waiters. And so, if you are a waiter... And you're serving tables. You, if you're in this mindset, you pray to St. Zita. And she talks to God and hopefully God answers through Zita. And your tips are more abundant in the waiting of tables. And it's astounding how much this teaching is alive and well. In our world. And it's dangerous. You may say, This is is not necessary. You shouldn't be talking about this. Somebody will be offended, and I'm scared to death that somebody will be offended and not come back. But listen to me God wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. And the Word of God, the truth of God, sets us free to enjoy God and this separation is likened to devil, the devil in the garden saying, sowing seeds of doubt into the goodness of God. He loves you. He loved Lazarus. Phileo love. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Agape love. He loves you. And he wants to be with you and have intimacy with you and have the deepening relationship and communion and to stick somebody else in the middle is dangerous. And in fact, The word of God is where we have to go. Instead of opinion, let's just go to the word of God. Instead of tradition, let's go to the word of God. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, For there was one, there is one God. And how many mediators? One mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. If you want to talk to God, it's only through Jesus Christ, not a saint. Not his mother going to Mary. hell, Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. You're not going to get more leverage to get what you want by going through his mom. She's not part of this. And neither are the dead saints. Hebrews 7.24 says, Because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He's able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Because He always lives to intercede for them. Any other priest can't save you. Any other mediator cannot save you. But Jesus, who always lives to intercede for you, can save you completely if you come through Him. It's Jesus and Jesus alone not a priest, not a saint, not Mary. And you Protestants, you're just as bad because you ask your grandpa or grandma or Uncle Bo, will you please, Uncle Bo, tell God that I need this? We do that, and I'm telling you, it's just the same. It's just the same. There's one mediator between God and man. And he is able to save completely those who come through him. And he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So he knows. He doesn't have to be told by some saint what's happening in your life. He already knows. You don't have to get his attention through somebody. He knows nothing is hidden from his sight. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. You didn't say it. Let us approach God's, uh, God's throne of grace with yeah. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's through the, the one mediator who always lives to intercede for us. Who, who saves completely that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. In our time of need we don't need a messenger to carry our prayer. He wants to hear you. He loves you. Don't you dare think he does not care. He cares. And he's not distant. Don't let the devil sow those seeds. of he's out there, he does not care. He cares. Some people think it's going to take another man or woman's good works, saintly works, to get you a hearing in heaven. That's not how it works either. He says right here that it's his love. The one you love. He loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, and by the way, in the list, Mary goes first the first time Martha goes first the second time because sisters are competitive and the Bible wanted to make sure they didn't fuss. is that cool? But it's the love of Jesus that opens the door to prayer. He's the one who builds the bridge from above. It's not some saint's righteous life that makes him more powerful in prayer or that you can speak to him and get Jesus' attention. It's Jesus' love. And it's not our love. Don't don't say, you have to listen to me because I love you a lot. And I love you more today than I usually do. And I've got a lot of faith today, so listen to me. You've got to do what I say. That's not not it. It's his love that opens the door to prayer. prayer. Lord, the one you love is sick. He loves you. He loves you like he loves them. Through whom do we pray? We pray through the one mediator who's able to save completely. Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest. For what do we pray? I like to think that this, this step is easier than the last, but it's just as hard. What do we pray for? Prayer has a priority. The, uh, this chapter is amazing, astounding, surprising. And to me, the most astounding thing is not that he raises a man who is dead for four days. Although that should be the most amazing thing. The most, the, ma- the most amazing thing to me is how Jesus responds to their request and does not give them their expectations. He does not do what they want Him to do. And we shouldn't be surprised because how often have you prayed hard for something and He did exactly what you wanted? It's always different, but it's always better. Well, for what do we pray? Well, Prayer has a priority. Let's look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, no. It is for God's glory, so that. That's this, we had a so that in chapter 9, in case you don't remember, with the blind man. The, so that. In chapter 9, uh, he was made blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here we have, uh, this is going to be so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he took off. First thing, as fast as he could get there. He, He hopped a cloud and flew there. He transported like Star Trek. Right? Because he loved them. It says that he stayed where he was. Two more days. That's, the, that's, that's a strange way to say I love you. Isn't it? And he tells us he loves us in the same way. These strange things that you think, God, I don't see your love in that. But sometimes that's the way his love is. Giving us something that is more important than what we're asking for. It was dangerous for Jesus to come back to Judea. Bethany, is, in verse 18, I think it says that, that Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem. It's actually 1.71 miles from Bethany to Jerusalem. You know, J- Jesus isn't going back to Jerusalem, but he's going awful close. He won't go back to Jerusalem until the Triumphal Entry when he comes back again uh, it, uh, on Passion Week. But he's coming awful close. He's not going in the mouth of the dragon. He's just going to the lip of the dragon. It's dangerous for him to go back. And so the sisters are probably thinking, you know, he doesn't need to come back. They'll kill him if he comes back. But they're kind of hoping that he would do what he did in John 4, 50, or he just said to that man about his son, your son won't die. And he got better that very moment. For what do we pray? For what do we pray? This man, Lazarus, a messenger left to bring the message to Jesus. It takes, it was 20 miles to the other side of the Jordan from Bethany. That's a full day's journey. And this messenger left with the message. And he went 20 miles, took him all day. And Jesus, once he heard it, because he loved them, stayed where he was two more days. That's three days. Jesus is going to walk back after the two days and meet Martha there on the road. That's the fourth day. And when he arrives in verse 17, it says that Lazarus has been dead and buried for four full days. The day that this man left to bring the message, Lazarus died. He died before he ever delivered the message to Jesus. There's something in this that we need to see. We need to see that so that. I didn't say that in the other two services. Didn't see, we need to see that so that. There's something greater than our getting. There's something much more important than our getting what we're praying for. As hard as that is sometimes to understand, we are all part of something bigger than ourselves. If we belong to Christ, we are all part of something much bigger than ourselves. We, we share in something. If we're a part of His church, we share in something. We join something. It's a mission. It's the mission of Jesus. There are billions of, there have been billions of us. There may not be a billion living of his followers living on the world today. I don't know, but there have been billions of us. A lot of them have already gone to heaven. But we joined this where we agreed to take up our cross daily, be his disciples and follow him. To lose our lives for His sake. We join something that is bigger than ourselves and bigger than our wants. His glory is more important than our gets. And it's hard to come to terms with that. When when you're desperate and praying for something like this. Jesus said this for sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Lazarus, verse 14, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Belief is the point of this whole chapter, bringing people to belief. It, the word believe shows up eight times in this chapter. That's our mission. Our mission is to bring people to belief by bringing glory to Jesus Christ with our lives. And we need to understand this. And the church needs a wake-up call. We all need a wake-up call that we are supposed to be exhibiting the glory of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, with our life. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our relief. It's not about getting what we want from Him. We make it all about us. We, We make it about our comfort, our inconvenience, our convenience. In the discipleship of new believers, we need to help them understand you join something that's bigger than your life. And your life, because you just confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, you just gave up your right to self-determination. You're not your own anymore, the Word of God says. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body, in your life and in your death. Bring glory to the Son we read in uh, last week in chapter 10 about these guys asking Jesus, "Tell us now, tell us plainly, are you Messiah or not?" And He gave three proofs: the works, the works. When we tell people about Jesus, and I hope and pray we're all telling somebody about Jesus, the word, God is working in their life. God is working in the circumstances around their life. God is doing stuff in their life. And we've heard testimonies of how people said, I came to faith, but this is what was happening. God was doing this, 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 this. The works are proof. And the words, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and no one can take them out of my hand. The words, the words of God take dogs and pigs and turn them into sheep. It's a miracle. And they listen to his words, and the words are powerful proof who he is. And the sheep, the sheep are proof. You, if you are his sheep, are proof to the glory of the Son. You need to live your life to bring Him glory. And, and if you get the opportunity to give your death in the same way for His glory, then let it be. Because it's more important than our, His glory. And people's belief is more important than our getting what we're praying for. Through whom do we pray? Personal, deeply personal. For what do we pray? Pray for anything you like. Pray for anything you like. But understand that we're all surrendered to him so that people will believe. We're all part of this seeking and saving the lost mission that He's called us to. And finally, how do we pray? Praying is a back and forth pulling like a tug of war. It really is. If you, if you don't understand that, then you don't pray very much. Because prayer is talking to God about what you want or need or hope. And God pulling back and saying, this is my will and this is what I want you to have. And it's hard to give up your rights. It's hard to surrender to Letting God do what God wants to do. So prayer is like this. I want this. Well, and it's beautifully demonstrated in this. These last few verses. I want you to see this. Okay, we're 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 practically done. We're just we're just, we're just coasting into the finish line at this point. So just enjoy this with me. Okay, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be amused. I imagine you will snicker. I'm expecting you to snicker. Verse 7. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let us go back to Judea. I've, I've said this once or twice before, and I want to say it again. Always look at the pronouns. In life, listen to people in their pronouns. They say a lot without saying much if you listen to their pronouns. In Scripture, you learn a lot by watching the pronouns. Watch these pronouns. Jesus said to his disciples, let what? Us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, "a a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Do you see the tug of war? You see it? The, Jesus saying, let's go. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I know them. I give them eternal life. Let's go. Let us go back to Judea. And they're like, Jesus, we don't think that's a good idea. And in fact, they just tried to stone you. Are you sure you want to go? Jesus is not saying, y'all stay here. Put your feet up. Enjoy yourself. I'll go take care of this. They're with him, and he's calling them to go be a part of this. And they're like, are you sure you want to do that? Keep going. He gives a proverb in verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. This, the, proverb, the point of this proverb is... God's got this. God's got. I'm the light of the world. You're with me. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. You, we, we Come with me. There's a plan. There's a purpose in all this. Walk with me. It's daytime. Keep going. He let, it, he let it sink in for a second. And then verse 11, he says, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, pronoun, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's our friend. You love him, too. But I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus has been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And I'm surprised they did, because to be quite honest, sleep is the way death is explained for God's people from Old Testament through the end. It, that's what death is for his, God's people. It's... It's like sleep. I, I, I all these funerals, I, I, every graveside I've ever stood beside, I read First Thessalonians four thirteen and following. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who've fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I should have it memorized since I've said it like 500 times, but I don't, so I then I have to read. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Sleep is how death is described for God's people. When it's your time, you will close your eyes. Sleep. And you'll open your eyes and you'll be with Jesus. What could be better than that? And if you're like me, you love sleep. I can't wait to go home on this gloomy day and drink deeply of sleep. We have nothing to fear in Christ Jesus of death. But for some reason, they thought, oh, he'll wake up. Come on, guys. Verse 14. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But then he makes the call again. He calls them. If he's calling you, he's not going to call you just once. He's gonna, that call remains. In verse 7, he says, let us go back to Judea. And in verse 15, he says, let us go. Go to him. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's hard. It's hard to give up your rights. It's hard to surrender your will. It's hard to let Jesus give you your marching orders, but that's why we pray. And it's a tug of war. But I'm telling you, he, he knows best. And in your prayer, you will get to that point as you continue to pray where you're going to realize, okay. And Thomas, also known as Didymus, which both those words mean twin. We don't know who his twin is. That's an interesting question. That has nothing to do with anything of value in the sermon, really. But it's an interesting question. Who's his twin? Where's his twin? But Thomas, God bless him. We know him as Doubting Thomas. We know him as somebody who's kind of a hard head. But look what he does. He aligns himself with Jesus and says to the other disciples, Yes, let us go that we may die with him. What loyalty. What courage. What heroism. Is that a word? Yes. He doesn't have faith. He doesn't believe that he's going to survive this. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the light and he's going to keep him safe, that he's got this, but he's ready to die. He's ready to die. Later on, when Jesus is arrested, he's not so ready to die, and he falls back and kind of, you know, fails. But in this moment, he's ready to die. In the tug of war, let's go. Well, are you sure you need to go, Jesus? Let's go. And he's like, let's go. Guys, let's go. We deconstructed prayer today a little bit. Not for knowledge's sake, but because we all need to know how deeply he wants a personal, intimate, deepening relationship with each and every one of us. Not separated by some human intermediary. A pastor can pray for you but he can't pray for you. You've got to have a relationship with him. The one who, who saves completely those who come through him. There's a purpose in prayer. And it's, 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 it's great. We belong to him. And what we're a part of is bigger than ourselves. We need to not be so Selfish. And in the tug of war, we need to answer the call. The call that he's going where he says, let's go. What's that mean for you today? Let's go. When Jesus says, let's go, what does that mean for you? Is it time for you to give your life to Jesus? Is he saying, let's go? There's going to be prayer counselors on the bottom of your screen. You can call them. They'd love to talk to you. Jesus is saying, let's go, go. It's time. If you're here today and you'd like to pray with somebody, we'll have rooms back here on this side of the hall over here, and you can pray with anybody. You can talk with anybody if you'd like to give your life to Christ or just need to pray about something. When he says, let's go, what's he saying to you? How does that apply to you right now? Let me pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. This is hard, and I don't want to push anybody away because of the political incorrectness of calling a myth a myth but when it comes to people's salvation and your love we've got to say that it's it's, it's been wrong to believe that intermediaries were the way to pray and God we pray so often for the wrong things because we want what we want to get instead of wanting your glory most of all So, Lord, in the struggle of prayer, help us just to surrender to you. It's hard, but it's beautiful. And, God, we pray that through our lives you might be glorified. We pray for everyone here now in this hearing that we'll be forever changed by these words. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing Reckless Love. And I think about Reckless Love, and I asked Joey to put Reckless Love here at the end. Some people don't understand Reckless Love, and I'm not understand that, but he, went back, he, he went, went back to Bethany, didn't he? For Lazarus. For Lazarus. For Mary and Martha and a whole lot of other people who need to believe. It was reckless what he did. And so as we finish today, let's sing Reckless Love together.